Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Kate and Adam Rice, what's happening, you guys? Just trying to stay busy. <laughs> trying to stay busy. I thought this would be a good time to do a podcast because it seems like everybody's down. It's like, what is going on? What's everybody doing these days? So I thought maybe we could even talk about some of the things that people could be doing just to work on some of their photo gear or techniques or something just because it's so boring. But um, just so everybody knows, this is a COVID what do you guys call it? Are you calling it quarantine? COVID-19? What, what? Everybody's got a different name for it, but it's kind of like the stay at home, chill out, don't talk to other people, don't get around other people all the time. So we're all just kind of laying low, right? What are you guys doing out there in Utah? Well, right now we're sitting at a migratory bird refuge, just trying to stay away from people, but still enjoy the outdoors. So kind of nice in the moment you guys basically live in a van in is it like the salt lake area or provo or park city i don't know i don't remember exactly where you guys said you kind of base out of but i mean you're basically at home but you're sitting at a refuge right yeah, yeah. pretty much but we um traveling is still a little tricky and it's caused us a little bit of anxiety because some counties have been like, don't come here no matter what, and you'll get in trouble if you do. So yeah. we've been trying to not wander too far and especially not cross any state borders. Yep. Um, but we figure as long as we're just um, keeping to ourselves and not doing anything stupid, um, that we'll be fine. Yeah. And it's worked out so far. Do you think they cause problems at the state borders? Wyoming claiming that if you're coming there for anything other than work, that they're going to make you quarantine for 14 days. Like they're basically saying, even if they open up the parks, they don't want you coming for recreation. Oh, so we're kind of like, eh, I wish the parks would open. But now we're like, he, you know, the Wyoming governor just said that the other day. And he's saying like, I think April 30th, at least for that. So we're kind of hoping that maybe we hope things settle down because I, you know, we keep hoping, you know, when are we going to get through this and get back to normal? Because right now we'd usually be up in the parks starting our spring grind, you know? The bears are out, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're starting to come out. Yep. Yeah, so we usually try to go up real early and start try to, you know, catch some of the few bears that come out while there's still snow around. I mean, those are usually pretty unique images. You know, any bear species on snow that isn't a polar bear is kind of, you know, tough to get. So we usually work really hard at that and then yeah and then we just go right into the spring swing and you know you have babies all the babies and you know just kind of play it by ear there's always something something big going on you know if you're just laying low now last time we talked you guys said that living in a van is awesome and i think it is i ever since i've talked to you guys and actually before that i'd been looking into vans and all winter long i found myself just watching van content on youtube it's Every morning, rather than watch the news and get depressed, I would just pull on somebody's like, hey, this is my van tour kind of thing. And everybody's got their own little way of doing it. But essentially, you used to go to a gym, right? Because that served as kind of like your shower spot. Now, because gyms are closed, now what are you guys doing? Well, we have fresh water in the van, so we take, um, I guess, hobo baths for now. <laughs> um, 
we have a really big sink so we can wash our hair and, um, you know, get like a kind of a tub of water and wash up and stuff like that. And, yep. um, so we've been doing that and staying pretty clean. We couldn't, we yeah, can there's go still, to truck there's stops, still truck stops. Yeah. But, um, you know, that just puts ourselves at risk. Yeah. Um, we try not so. to go in any place we don't have to right now, just cause you don't, you don't know. And I was thinking it's probably a little tougher for you guys too, because for like, you know, like me, I was able to just get, I've got a full size fridge. Well, you guys probably have what a quarter size or a half size fridge. I don't even know how big your fridge is, but you can't quite stock up in the same way that, you know, someone that has a full size cabinet or whatever. Yeah, we have a good amount of dry goods, but yeah, in terms of fresh food, which we eat a lot of, you know, that's hard. So yeah. we have to be pretty strategic, especially because half of our fridge is dedicated to beer. So. <laughs> <laughs> So that really limits our space, but yep. uh, that's necessary for our sanity. And um, yeah, so we got to go to the grocery store probably every four or five days to get fresh food. Um, yeah. But we're really careful and we've been like wearing gloves and sanitizing before and after. Yep. We've been sanitizing all of the stuff that comes into the van. Um, yep. I feel like a hypochondriac, but I just really don't want to spread it around. Yep. What about... In Colorado, they just had the, it's a suggestion. They're saying everybody should wear a mask no matter where you go or what you're doing. Did they do that in Utah yet? Just what the, just what the CDC is saying, where they're just saying the CDC recommends wearing some kind of face covering. Yeah. So, I mean, we haven't really seen anybody in public doing it. We figured we'll kind of just play it by ear. We try to really stay away from people even when we go into like the store and stuff and give everybody a lot of space. So hopefully, you know, that is fine and i guess you know if we start seeing everybody wearing them i guess we'll just jump on so we're not you know like those people <laughs> into the store since they put out that yep. recommendation so yep. yeah yeah that just came down here i don't know probably in the last two or three days here in colorado so what i did is i have those buffs you know those fishing buffs that people wear i mean you can wear them for all kinds of stuff but i was first introduced to them in fishing so you can just cover up so you don't get sunburned out all that reflection off the water but i have one in every pack that i have for photo stuff because i got out one time with bugs really bad and that happened to work and i was like this is going to go in every pack they say two or three um layers of material is what you need you can't just go with like one layer you have to so but those things you can double up or triple up and it'd be just fine so i'm hoping that's going to work and something's better than nothing for sure yeah and i think I think it's more to just keep what you, what's coming out of your mouth in, you know what I mean? I think that's what they're saying it works more for. It's not going to stop anything, you from breathing anything in, but it'll keep your your stuff to yourself, I guess. I don't know. So what are you shooting, if anything at all right now? Nothing, or what are you guys trying to do? Uh, we've been doing grouse legs mostly, um, trying to find new ones since uh, we normally wouldn't have an opportunity to do that, and we really like grouse a lot but typically we get so sucked into the bears at this time of the year yeah so we're trying to focus on stuff we wouldn't normally get a chance to do are you having any luck i mean that's if you don't know where they're at they're tough running across a lek is very difficult yeah the time frame in which you have in a in one day to even look for one is so short yep. so um we've been lucky um, there's a couple of known leks that we visited, but we were able to find a sharp tail lek, so that was 
pretty exciting for us. Is that new to you, the sharp tail? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I interrupt you, Adam. Go ahead. No, as I was just saying we've actually been lucky to have some luck there for a few days and be the only ones up there. And and I actually talked to Ron because I had some questions for him the other day because I'm like, I think you know more about this than I do. So, you know, and but yeah, it's been it's been fun to do something different. And then and then, you know, it's 830 and you're done shooting for the day already. <laughs> the cool thing about the sharp toes, though, is though if they get scared or if they move off, they'll come back. Whereas the sage grouse, you're done. You know, if a raptor flies over, if a predator shows up, you're you're done for the for the whole day. It's like, oh, that's a big waste of time because you could drive, what, a couple hours just to get to a lek pretty easily, I'll bet. Yeah, and that, that was always our problem with sage grouse is we never had time to look for other leks, so we'd go to, like, the known one and, you know, somebody pull up and, and you know, like, have the radio on and roll their window down and all the birds are gone and you're like, well, you just ruined the whole morning, man, you know? <laughs> So it's, it's, it's tough, especially with them. Like, I mean, yeah, you could have a hawk just right away come in right before you can even see anything and it's, you know, it's all over. And it's, so it's, it's pretty tough, especially when you're getting up that early in the morning and trying to set up and think about everything and be careful to have one little tiny thing have such a huge impact on, you know, 50 birds. It's crazy. And you wouldn't think it would be that. I tried to sneak up on a luck one time, a long time ago before I knew anything about this i like ah, they're not even paying attention i'll just scoot right down it no that's not happening you got to <laughs> yeah. be there and be ready when before the sun comes up or you're not there's no shot yeah. huh anything else you've been sh- i just heard a red winged blackbird out your window there or out your door so that's kind of cool that you get all that nature sounds what else has there been anything else to shoot any foxes or dens or anything well we had foxes earlier in the winter um, in the yeah winter we did pretty well um, outside of Utah, but not, there is one park around here where they feed the fox and you can go see them and we've gotten to see them, but that's just not our kind of photography. I don't really want yeah. a fat animal like that. And yeah. they've been so inbred at this point, like all their tails are like the fur is falling off their tail and they look kind of mangy. And yeah. so we don't, Yeah. it's fun to see once in a while, but we don't take any pictures of yeah. that. We have been kicking around the idea of going out in the West Desert and looking for kit fox dens, but I mean, it's so vast out there, you spend days and not see an animal. <laughs> you know, it's you just... can. I mean, it's incredible. But I mean, you guys have uh, Utah's a beautiful state, so you do have some options. But you're still you got to kind of hang in close for some of the work stuff that you do too, right? So you can't be like gallivanting too far. Right now, it's nice because I'm working remotely, so we can go pretty much wherever. Yep. And I can just work. Well, that you guys need to go down to the southwest or the southeast and just live it up. They they closed it all down. Oh, that's true. Yeah, even Moab's closed down. I heard that. Yeah. Moab, Zion, all of, all the camping shut down. They don't want anybody hanging in, hanging around any of those areas right now. And those people are excited. Yeah, they they are, and they are. Yeah, they're ticketing people down there. Is that count like BLM land too, and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yep. Really? Yeah, even dispersed camping, you can't. You know, you can't go do backcountry. You can't do anything. If when the parks were still open, the only way you could see them is if you drove in that day, saw them, and left. They had all the hotels closed, all every camp, all the campground. They didn't want anybody coming in and staying, unless you were working in town. Like because there are people, you know, that come and just camp for the summer and work in town. But those are the only people that were allowed. Such a crazy time. Such a crazy time. It's just a weird 
I mean, nobody has any experience with this, right? It's just yeah. unprecedented. Yeah, we're yeah. just making it up as we go. Well, that's why we're not really going too far. We don't know how much effort, you know, troopers are going to put into yeah. questioning people. So yeah, we don't we don't we don't want to be you know driving around like in a different state without a state plates and rolling that dice. Cause I'm sure they are looking for that kind of thing. You know, if they are going to look for anything. Well, the beautiful thing is, is you're legitimately in your home. Yep. Yeah. So, yep. I mean, it's not like you can, you can do anything else. Right. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. We talk all the time on the podcast about things that you can do to enhance your photography stuff when you're stuck at home or like if you got an eight to five job, you don't have enough time to run out in the evening or the mornings, but that's the time to check the focus or that's the time to learn a little bit more about your menu operation. That's the time to do some of the stuff that you don't want to be doing when you've got some awesome animal out there in front of you. Is there anything you guys have been doing along those lines or is there anything that you've been cleaning or practicing with or trying something else or researching? Yeah, we've gone back and done some re-editing of photos as our editing process has improved. So we've gone back and done some of that. And uh, we've been looking at doing some like marketing classes um, because that's something I would say that we're really not very good at um, is putting ourselves out there. So we've been looking into doing some of that. Um, there's a lot of free webinars out there you can take. Uh, about how to use Google AdWords and Facebook and things like that to market. And then also um, some like Photoshop classes online, um, things that we always talk about. I know there's a lot of tricks out there that we don't know. We know quite a few, but um, I'm sure there's a lot of good things out there that we don't know about. So we want to tap into some of that. And we've talked about it for years, but just never get around to it. Yeah. We just interviewed... And I sent it to you guys. That's why we started talking. I was sending you a text yesterday from the, uh, we did a kind of a podcast trade with another podcast called wildlife photo chat. Yeah. And I didn't know those guys at all. They contacted Ron or Ron contacted them. I can't remember how the whole thing went down, but Ray Hennessy, I didn't know he does all these real time photo edits on his YouTube channel. Okay. Cool. Oh, really? And I, I didn't even know he was doing that. And so when I went to build the show notes for the that episode, I started. I thought, well, I'll just throw an example of that in. And I went and looked, and you can learn quite a bit of stuff just watching him do his stuff. You know, just you work an image, and yeah, I might not know the name of that tool, but I know which tool he's talking about, and I can see what he's doing with it. And it's like, oh, you know, light bulb just went off. It's like, oh, I could make this happen. So. It's a perfect time to be doing that kind of thing for sure. Yeah. How are you fixed for internet? Do you guys just run internet off your phones? Yep. Mostly, yeah. We're we're kind of looking into uh, just as we realize the more and more we get into this, and especially as we start to kind of branch the business off with our guiding, where we might need more and more data if we're uploading more videos and stuff and doing stuff like that. We're kind of kicking around different options for like a hotspot because just to give us a little more bandwidth and stuff. Cause especially with video, your, your data is just gone that, yeah. that, and you know, with nothing to do, we're definitely Netflix and chilling a little more. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. That yeah. Up the streaming, so. And you probably have like an unlimited plan, but they throttle you at some, at a certain point. Right especially on the streaming, like we can use as much data as we want on the phones. But once you start streaming another device using your phone, then I think like we have Verizon, I think they 
you hit 25 and they throttle you way, way down. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be, it's one of those things that, like I told you earlier, I've been watching a lot of these van things and conversions and check out my van. And, and that's always a topic trying to figure out the best way to do your internet, mobile internet when you're traveling around like that. So you said something earlier about setting up for these tours. Let's talk a little bit about that. You guys just kind of started that this year, right? And of course, you had I've been seeing all these funny memes about, well, I was super excited about 2020 and then it turned around and kicked me in the butt, you know, or they're just very, it's kind of like what happened to you guys. You got all the stuff set up, you got ready to roll, going to do these tours and then wham, this thing happens. So you're still going to do it. But let's talk about why you guys started that and then what you're going to offer once once things return back to normal. Hopefully they will soon. Yeah, I mean, so basically we, we have our permits to guide in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Park. And so basically we're just thinking, you know, we've been around the area and been, I mean, we probably spend 100 plus days a year in the, in those parks anyways. So we figured we'd start guiding up there and offering photography workshops and it can be anything you want, whether you want to just be shown around and not have to do the digging to get, you know, see the things you want, or if you want photography instruction and that kind of thing. And, you know, we'll do anything from landscape to wildlife or just see the, you know, big, big sites, whatever. And, uh, yeah, we just have a, you know, we've just been kind of pushing that and we kind of had to back off on the spring once we saw how everything was playing out we were gonna try to be you know full-blown here by may and uh we just we just started getting we started seeing how it was gonna play out so we stopped kind of advertising for the time being just because we're like we don't want to get a bunch of people lined up and then end up realizing the park's going to be closed and it's not going to happen and so and then and now we're starting to get you know cancellations now that we're getting closer to when people are actually going so we're hoping you know late summer, second half of summer and fall, we can just kind of step back right in. It's kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, we were all pumped to get going and get up there and do this. And, and we're like, how does this happen? Like right now, but then at the same time, you know, like we still have viable income right now. So rather than us, like just being started and, you know, out there on a line and then be like, Oh, we don't have any money. So it's, it's been kind of a blessing that it happened this way too. Well, how do you set that up? I mean, what are you guys doing? You're like, okay, let's do tours. What's the first step? It's like, you've got to figure out what that tour is going to be. And you got to figure out, like you said, is it a mentorship kind of like just show me around thing? Or is it actually, do you have to have a 15 passenger van to haul a bunch of people around? Or are you just saying, oh, just meet us here and you get your own transportation and we'll take you where we think, you know, if you say you want to shoot bison, then we're going to go get cool bison or what, how... How did you guys dream it up and what, what are you doing? So if, when, when it does come time for people to sign up with y'all, what can they expect? Well, it just kind of came about uh, from spending a lot of time in the parks, like Adam was saying. Um, so our thoughts were that we wanted to primarily share wildlife. Um, a lot of people come from out of state and they spend a lot of money to come and be here and they want to make the most out of their time. So our goal is to help try to teach people how to make the most out of their time, get see and photograph the most wildlife or landscape um, during their trip. So the idea is that you'd um, 
come out for us with a day or two or five or however many days you want to come and we'll get you in the right spots at the right times to get the best photographic opportunities and make the most out of your trip. Um, we also offer instruction for using your camera if you don't know how to use, you know, if you want to improve things like composition, um, making sure your backgrounds are clean, um, things like that. So really anything from very beginner photography to just sightseeing um, to more advanced photography yeah. stuff. And the way we're going to, the way we do it is, I mean, we're going to pick you up wherever you're staying and we'll be in our vehicle. You know, we have a, a suburban size SUV. So one group groups of one to four is what we're targeting. Just that private, you know, there's a lot of people offering tours where you just go buy a ticket and you get shoved in a big van with a bunch of people you don't know. So if you book with us, like it's going to be custom made for what you want. You know, we're going to talk about what your, what your goals are and we're going to go out and do what you want. We're not just going to go through an itinerary and blindly just drive through the park and be like, this is our spiel. You know, like we're going to figure out what, what the goals are for each client and, and do our best to get them, whether it's for a half day tour, um, you know, sunrise or sun sunset tour. That's just, you know, four or five hours or like Kate said, a multi-day tour. And then we're going to put, we have some workshops lined up for the winter where there'll be like week long workshops where we spend, you know, three days on a snow coach, which, you know, you guys have talked about in a few previous podcasts lately. And then, a, you know, a few days up in Northern range and that'll be, you know, all the hotels are booked and everything and you get pick, picked up at the airport by us. And so you never have to rent a car or anything. You don't have to book your hotels. We'll just go do everything. It's all taken care of for you. So on these, the ones for like the summer and fall, if somebody's staying at a place, will you guys help with that too? If somebody calls up, like someone calls right now and says, okay, well, we think this thing's going to be over by midsummer. I really want to shoot the elk rut or whatever. Let's just say the elk rut in the fall. Would you say, well, we recommend you stay in West Yellowstone or we recommend that you stay in Gardner and, you know, here's a couple of choices. Are you guys providing that kind of stuff or? Well, you, oh, yeah. Okay, good, good. Yeah, because, I mean, we we before we moved out here, I mean, we stayed in a lot of these places, so we have some experience, too. And before we, you know, decided that we're just going to sleep in a vehicle all the time, because before we moved into the van, we slept in our SUV when we were on these trips on the weekends and stuff. So we've just progressively got bigger and bigger and then we're like heck we'll just live in a vehicle <laughs> but yeah so we we do know you know some of the you know we have ideas for you know wherever you're trying to photograph and you know this is going to be the shortest distance of commuting if we're just going to be focusing in this part of the park because especially yellowstone is huge so you know if you want to photograph this you know eastern part of the park or like the east entrance area and you're staying in gardener well we got a long drive in the morning and the evening you know that's going to you know, a couple hours probably each way. So, you know, we like, we definitely can help with where, where we want to, where you want to stay. And, or if you already have your days booked and you just want to see specific animals, we can figure out where to, where to go to kind of cut down on that driving too, at the same time, you know, best bang for your buck. So we're not just paid to be a chauffeur, you know, you said it earlier, it's a blessing and a curse, right? This whole thing that I could see a blessing being you know, a lot of people have great big plans for the whole summer and fall that they booked last year. Well, I bet a lot of people are canceling that stuff right now. So if it does come through and it does open midsummer, whenever, it could mean that availability on a lot of these things is a little bit better than normal. Because sometimes you can go to Yellowstone in the summertime and you're just not going to find a place to stay, right? Because it just is so busy. 
Yeah, a lot of people have to stay, you know, considerably far outside the park just to find accommodations. Yep. And even with campgrounds too, right? Those things fill up so fast too. So you just, it's very difficult. Yeah, yep. even first come, first serve. If you're not in line first thing in the morning, you're not going to get a campsite. Yeah, by the time you get past Memorial Day, like the first come, first serve campgrounds, you better be waiting at the gate to get into that into that office at, you know, 8 in the morning. Otherwise, you're not going to get a campsite when everybody leaves at 11. And if you're a wildlife photographer, you're not doing that. No, yeah. no. Yeah, there's no time for that. That's too. That's the perfect time to be shooting. Yeah. So Right, right. You don't want to be sitting in a line at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. waiting for the door to open. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me a little bit more about these. I, we were pimping you guys out in one of the last few podcasts. And uh, Jason brought up the fact that he was having some issues with his his monitor, his playback on his monitor on his Sony camera. And you guys were able to just call him up after you heard the podcast and say, oh, you need to do this. And we were like, if you are a Sony shooter, you know, it probably would be a really good option to go with you guys because you're so familiar with that camera. Like you said, you can teach a little bit of, you can teach the composition stuff, but I bet you if somebody's a Sony shooter and maybe there's other cameras too that I just don't know about that you guys are very familiar with, but like I would, I would benefit in a big way to take my Sony out with you guys and say, okay, well, how do I set up the menu to run, do this or set up the camera to do this using the menu? And that's the kind of stuff you guys can do too, right? Yeah. Especially Adam. He's the gear guy. He's totally crazy about all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, and there's a lot of silly settings in that in the cameras that you think aren't you don't even think about them because you you know a lot of people probably go through and they don't even know what it is you know like what what does this setting do and what does this setting do so you know it's there's just a lot of little tricks and hacks and stuff and setting up the buttons in a way that makes sense and you know like just just a lot of stuff and I mean like you guys even I've noticed with like especially on like the A9 with how good the tracking is. Like you guys have t- talked the difference between back button focusing and shutter trigger focusing a lot, and like on the A9, they've actually done tests where it's actually fa- it's actually faster to stay on the shutter focusing, and with that tracking, you can do the same technique as your back button, where you just lock it on wherever the face is, and then recompose by moving the camera. It's the you know same idea as the, like back button focusing and then recomposing. You're just letting the tracking box stay with your subject and just recomposing. So it's kind of the same idea, but that tracking's so good on there that you can do you can do that with the shutter focus. So you know, and like you said, there's instances where it's just so fast you don't have time to sit there and move that point around and compose the way you want to. So sometimes that shutter focusing is a little is you know the better option. There's definitely benefits to both, but We've noticed with the with these most recent cameras, that's a that's a kind of a benefit with that tracking. So when you say tracking, does that mean you just tell the camera, "Hey, see this right here? I want you to just lock on that." Whether yeah. so, it's like a face or an eyeball. It I found the Sony to be really good when I'm shooting video for a lot of these commercial jobs, and we're shooting a lot of people, and you know, doing sports or whatever. Man, these cameras just find a face and they lock on. It's awesome. I haven't had that great of luck, but I haven't used it a lot either in defense of the camera. I haven't been, you know, usually if I'm going to shoot video out in the woods, I'm probably going to use my other cameras before the Sony. I use the Sony mostly for stills. But when you lock on, like in the woods, if you got a brown, let's say a brown elk with vegetation and stuff, is it still pretty good at maintaining and holding on to that, whatever you told it to hold on to? Yeah, it's 
it's really good, especially like um, Birds in Flight is one of the most challenging. And that's what got us to switch from the Sony A mount to the E mount um, was shooting barn owls in flight. So they would they would be up in the sky, you get locked on them, and then they would go below the grass line and it would stay right with them. So we had um, borrowed a camera from Sony and and tried it out on the new E-mount, the A9. And, and it was like, that's it. We're switching, sell everything. We're going totally mirrorless now. Yeah, I mean, it took just borrowing, just Sony lending us that A9 and the one, the 400, just for the two weeks or whatever it was, that was, that was all it took. I mean, we were, when we were, we were ordering an A9 and a one to 400 the same day we were sending it back to them. So it was, yeah, it was kind of a done deal. And that's where I think you're shooting the R4 now, like, and that, that camera is really impressive with focus, but I mean, that A9 and the A9 two are still just, just walk all over it. It's like comparing a 5D to a 1D, you know? Right, right. It, it, there's still a huge difference. And there's a reason they made an A9 II and it's, you know, $1,500 more than the R4. You know, they're not going to, maybe they could have made the R4 focus the same, but that would be doing the R4 a disservice or the A9 II a disservice. You know what I mean? They're not going to sell any A9 IIs if they have this other camera that focuses just as well for a thousand bucks less. <laughs> right. Well, and I think the biggest difference there is the A9, the file size is smaller so they can write that write that content or that data so much faster so it can keep working fast whereas these the a7 file size is ridiculously big and you know you can fill that buffer i mean it's hard to fill the buffer but you can do it you you know i guess if you're going to shoot flying eagles or flying birds that'd be pretty easy i mean it it you know the a9 is so much fun to shoot and if you don't think you're going to have to crop afterwards if you're able to get close enough or you know have a lens long enough to get get it how you want in camera like that's a hands down better camera but if you need a little bit of reach or if you can get the focus to nail on that r4 those files just i mean i'm sure you know they just look amazing the detail in those files and i mean you can blow them up so huge and crop in so far i mean it's just it's ridiculous you know i i was just thinking earlier i remember a day a day when they we were at a camera store and they're telling us they'll never need anything more than 10 megapixels (laughs) (laughs) yeah right yeah yeah (laughs) well i i think i tell everybody that like the sony a7 IV that i use if you're shooting big game bears elk moose you know that kind of stuff you're probably fine the, oh, yeah. the focus acquisition's fast enough. Things don't go on that fast that you're going to miss stuff. But if you're wanting to shoot uh, pine martens or flying birds or something that just scoots around so fast and is constantly moving, I think, or sports, you know, when I'm shooting a lot of the sports stuff, that A7 just doesn't even come close to oh. holding up. But but the A9, I think after I used yours in Alaska, just playing around with it that one day, I was I was pretty convinced that it would it would do what it needed to be. You know, it would it would operate as fast as you needed it to operate. Well, and the and the the one thing I think the big hangup I have as far as the focusing goes, where the there's a big jump, is that I can have the A9 set up where I have the tracking where it'll track whatever I lock onto. But then I can also, at the same time, have that animal IAF on a different button as a toggle. So if that, 
and it will it'll tell me that it recognizes an animal's eye before I even decide to override it, and then I can override the focus point with that toggle without changing any settings. I just hit a different button. Instead of hitting the shutter, I'll just hit the button I programmed it to, and then it ignores the, sh the shutter to press for focusing, and it'll just sit there and track that eye, and it works really well with animals that have bigger eyes, like a bear or a moose or you know, a bison or an elk, anything that has a recognizable eye. It works really, really well. It doesn't really work with birds yet, and they've said that from the beginning. Bird, the birds have such small eyes that it's probably not going to work. But the R4 has animal IAF, and it has tracking, but you have to go turn the tracking off to be able to turn the animal IAF on. So you can't use them both and switch with one button press. And that, that's, for me, I've always thought that's just such a cool feature to be able to be like, yeah, I'm tracking this stuff running around. I'm like, oh, it sees the eyes there. And then just hold that button down and it'll sit there and stay on the eye. So, Kate, so, would you have figured this out if you didn't have Adam to sit there? Because it, it, to me, that's just going Poo, right over my head. I yeah, mean, I maybe eventually but uh, i know that's how i am i'm like well maybe i would figure it out by accident after i screwed up a bunch of shots i would figure it out but he's just like oh yeah well you do this and i'm like eh. he's talking greek right now to me and yeah. i just that's how i feel a lot of times yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows that about so many different cameras even like canon and icon he knows a lot of that stuff he's just such a gear tech yeah well, yeah. that's why you guys make such a good team out there in the field, too. I mean, you should be able to, you know, whether you're a Nikon shooter or a Canon shooter or whatever, your workshops would be worth it just because there's a lot of the principles are the same. How you get to them in the cameras is a little different, but that's not rocket science. You can figure it out. And if Adam, you can get people dialed in there and then together you guys are just doing all the photo stuff anyway, it's that would be awesome to be out there on a, a tour with you guys. So it's just Yellowstone and the Tetons right now. Yeah, for, for right, right now. now, we're we're hoping that in the we're planning to in the winter do also a winter workshop up in northern Minnesota in the Saxon Bog for owls and boreal bird species. That'll be we have to kind of put it together and advertise a little bit and see what kind of interest there is because it's a super popular spot, but I don't know if people will want to you know pay for something like that up there. I'd imagine they would. But, I mean, that's where we got started with photography. So that's kind of our old backyard. When we lived in northern Minnesota, that was every weekend for us. So so we were we were lucky then, too. Even though we were such a hurry to get out of there and get out west, we were lucky to, lucky to have that in our backyard. I mean, the first owl we ever photographed was a northern hawk owl and then a great gray owl. <laughs> we're that's just like, cool. This is, yeah. this is normal, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Hawk owls, man. I chased hawk owls for a long time before I ever got one. But once once you get it kind of dialed in and you're in the right spot, you, you generally can find them. And, and, and it varies year to year, just like with every other owl, you know, whether there's an eruption or whether there's the proper prey base that needs to be there for those those owls to be there. But Well, and I'm sure you've shot them in, up, up in Alaska. And the nice thing about photographing them there is you, I'm sure you've noticed they like the tops of, of trees, like the very hip tops. Well, all the trees up there are much shorter than in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, that's why you can find them, you know, because you can, you know, they're, what, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 feet maybe in Alaska. And that's a lot easier than trying to find them up on the top of some great big huge pine tree of some sort. Yeah, I don't know how many times when we lived in Minnesota, we'd find a hawk owl on the top of a 70-foot tree and you're just like, now what? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's just one of those things where you just got to wait it out, right? And try to find some other perches where you can find a perch that isn't a manageable 
tree that is not too terribly tall. What about like around Utah? I, this used to be a really favorite time of mine for finding owl nests, like great or uh, great horned owl nests, just because they nest earliest. And then by now the babies are probably just hopping around the tree already, just because they they nest so early. Is there a lot of that? I would assume the topography and the habitat around there is pretty conducive to some good owl nests. Have you guys found any? Not this year, but we haven't put in a lot of time for that. Um, so it's probably a good idea, yeah. especially since the grouse shut down so early in the morning. Yeah, we could um, definitely spend the rest of the day kind of looking around. We have we have been kind of scouting some owl stuff the last few days. Um, we've been kind of chasing around some short-eared owls. Um, trying to figure out, you know, if they have any kind of pattern there, you know, they can be so hit or miss, you'll see one and you you won't see it again for, you know, months or so, you know, elusive, but we're hoping that maybe we can dial them in a little bit and, you know, see it, all, all of these owl species, especially the ones that hunt at night, you know, you'd really need the right conditions to, to be able to see them. Cause I mean, like we brought up the barn owls that we shot last year. I mean, we had weeks of them just being out all day every day in the winter there and i mean you couldn't see one in daylight this year to save your life it was just um different you need you need very specific conditions for things like that to happen you know that's a completely nocturnal owl that's out in the daytime so something's something's going on and you need that to happen to be to be able to see them you know yeah and what what you know it's happening somewhere it's just whether you're going to find it or not right you know it's something somewhere the thing i always go back to with the great horned owls is they're pretty, I mean, they're very common. So that's, you got that on your side. And then they are active during the day when they're trying to feed those little ones to a certain degree. I mean, they're certainly more active at night, but at least you can get some stuff. So, and it's just something to occupy your time with. And I know this time of year, there's a lot of people out there looking for turkeys too, which is another good animal to, or a good bird to go after this time of year. Just this, I... March is my least favorite month of the year for photography. And then April, first part of April is not much different than March. But the more, the further we go into April, the more fun it gets. Just because a lot of the stuff, the urban wildlife starts to pop. You know, you get a lot of these goose nesting and, you know, you can possibly get little goslings pretty early and you can get some of these birds coming back and nest building and all that stuff going on. And especially in the urban environments that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So that's exciting. Well, yeah, spring's our favorite time of the year. We just love when things start nesting and denning and yeah. there's babies everywhere. That's our favorite. And you get a lot more interaction between parents and babies yeah. and it just makes for way more compelling images. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter what species you're shooting. If you're shooting, you know, babies with an, an adult, I mean, that's a that's a that's going to be a popular, more popular image than just a single bird or animal you know like it tells a lot more of a story than just here's this sitting there you know or here's this walking or flying you know if you have interaction it's always a better shot all right last question i know you texted me the other day about a tripod and and looking for a tripod head or does that mean you guys are shooting more video and is that for your own stuff just to market stuff or are you guys bringing that as part of your workshop stuff too where you're going to start incorporating teaching video or at least putting people in situations to shoot video for your workshops we could put people in situations but i would say we don't know enough about video to teach about video techniques at this point but it is something that we've been dabbling more in yep and i mean there's definitely 
we've just realized over the years because we've always done video clips ever since we've gotten our first you know slr that had a you know that did video we've always been you know shot clips here and there and we've just never really done anything with them so we don't we don't really know where it'll go but we definitely we see the beauty in me and the difference in thought and there are a lot of situations that you know are more suitable for video than for stills you know i mean there's different kinds of light and different kinds of you know a, a lot of the wildlife video is shot from a much greater distance and you know than photos are because you can still tell that story especially like you know we just got done watching that kingdom of the white wolf you know and he has all that close-up stuff but you know these far off shots of the whole pack walking there you know i mean a lot of that's probably shot at you know 500 yards away or more you know because you can't get 10 animals in a shot at 40 yards right you know (laughs) and show the habitat and just show a lot of that cool stuff you know you just it is hard to do so just getting into it and playing with it for your own marketing stuff will get put you guys right there as far as being able to to teach some of that stuff as you go too did you ever find a video head yet or are you still looking uh we're still kind of kicking around looking um it's we have to figure out whether we want to like i mentioned when we were talking is everything that I've been looking at it's like comes with legs and I don't know if I want that style of legs. So we got to figure out if we're going to use legs we have, or, or if we'll just take somebody's full setup and see how that works. And I'm still looking at that one that I sent you the other day. So it's still, it's still out there. So we get that question a lot as far as video, or I get that question a lot, whether it's through YouTube or through the podcast people and even Ron and Jason will be like, so what video head should I use for, you know, or which one should I get? And my answer is always like, get the, the best one you can afford because they get better. The more you spend, the better you get. And the better you get, the better you shoot. So it's always that, but they can get really spendy and it's, it's, you know, you can spend as much on that as you do your camera or, or more. Yeah, well, and that's where I'm trying to look at kind of more used higher-end stuff than go buy something brand new and not get as much. I'd rather have a, you know, beat-up higher-end head that's going to suit me better than, you know, just being like, well, this is my budget. I'm just going to go buy the best I can brand new and then be like, I don't know if I like this, you know. Yeah, well, and I'll tell you, I bought one not too long ago. I think I talked about it on the podcast, but it was it would look like it had been through a war. I mean, it just there was not a label left on it. It's scratched up. But these things are built so well that it operated just fine. You're not going to win any beauty contests, but who cares? And I'm probably going to beat it up even more just the way we do stuff. I mean, you guys saw up in Alaska, you strap it to a bike and you cruise down the road and it gets rained on, it falls over, you drop your bike and it digs in the dirt. I mean, but those things still go and that's kind of what you need to go for it. Don't, don't worry about the looks, just worry about the function. Well, and yeah. we, we, we beat our gear up too, just, yeah. just from hiking and that kind of stuff. And I mean, it's, it's it's hard to keep everything looking pretty if you're really really using it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I won't keep you any longer. Tell me what your your Instagram handle is, where people can find you on Facebook, and then also all the information about the workshops. Where should people go to find that information? Information for the workshops and the tours, you can go to carsafaris.com, k a r s a f a r i s, carsafaris. Um that's where we do that. And then all of our photography is always done on car photography. Um, it's actually carphotography.net. So always K-A-R for Kate and Adam Rice. And then same for Facebook and Instagram for car photography. 
Yeah, yeah. Instagram's just car photography, and Facebook, I think, if you're trying to type it, type in the actual web address, it's car photography MN. But if you search car photography, we should be the top. So. Okay, we put it out there before, but I just thought it would be good for for you guys to put it back out, and then I will put it all up in the show notes, and we'll put it up on the screen for the people to see too. So. Well, thanks so much for your time, guys. I'm I'm glad you're doing good, and I'm, I was really curious about how you guys are making the go of this living in a van, but sounds like you got it all dialed in just fine. Yeah, works out pretty good. We like it. Yep. It's been, like, what, almost 18 months now? Yeah. Well, and this is, like, the good test. If you can make it through this situation without, have, you know, having to kind of, like, well, I'm going to boondock here, and then I'm going to do this here, and I'm going to find these bathrooms here. I mean, this is, like, the worst of the worst, right? From yeah. any other situation, it's probably pretty good. Well, yeah. and you, you know, if it all goes down and the whole grid comes down, we're in better shape than anybody because we can filter our water and we got solar power. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we can go hide in the desert. <laughs> but, the yeah, mountain, yeah, somewhere. <laughs> you can you can find somewhere for sure. All right. Well, thanks so much. Well, you guys have a good one. Thank yeah, you, you too. too. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet please give us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Sing along to the radio. We're going to make it someday. Nothing's going to get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.